I was, um, we were speaking in Germany and the guy that was translating for us had no problem translating for Ian. But when I came on, he just kept going, pardon? Pardon? <laughs> so I just said, there's English and there's Yorkshire English. And so I didn't realise he translated it and then he said something else and they all started laughing. So afterwards I said, what did you say? And he said, I told them that you spoke like a Bavarian. So obviously <laughs> the Bavarians have a good accent as well, as well as just German. So obviously there's German and there's Bavarian German. So I, apparently I speak in like a Bavarian. Nobody can understand me over there. <laughs> So uh, I'm just glad that now I'm here, I don't need a translator when I'm in Yorkshire. You can all understand me, understand me. So I just want to um, carry on in a way from what Ian shared. Um, so I might repeat some of what Ian said. But um, it's the scripture 3 John verse 2 where the writer says, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. Or as another version would say, I pray that it all goes well with you and you be in good health, just as it goes well with your soul. And so I just want to share for a while on having a prosperous soul, really. Because, you know, the writer for him, it was taken that your prosperous soul was the norm. For your soul to do well was normal. And if your soul was doing well, then your bodily health would follow. And it would seem that, and having spoke, you know, read that um, what psychiatrists and psychologists often seem to say, and other medics these days, that mental health and physical health are often connected. And so, you know, um, our physical health can be dependent on the way our soul is prospered. And our soul is a place that houses our will and our emotions and our intellect. And so the degree to which our body is well can then be related to the degree in which our soul is well. And so I just want to talk about, for just look at what can affect the prosperity of our soul. What can um, affect the progress of our soul prospering? And I just want to say right now that I have not arrived in all this. As Mark said and as Ian said, we're all works in progress. I am a work in progress. And sometimes I make slower progress than other days when I'm making quicker progress. The, I'm just pleased that I am making progress. <laughs> and my aim is that when Jesus returns... He won't have a lot to do to make me be just like him. You only have to put a few finishing touches. So it is a journey. So some of the things that I'm, you know, I've written down here, and so this part of this is my journey, is that the things that can affect your soul wellness is rejection and disappointment, and as Ian um, said, unforgiveness. That is a huge key: is unforgiveness. And also ungodly beliefs about ourselves, that we believe things about ourselves that maybe people have said, that uh, maybe adults have said about us in our growing up, that God doesn't think about us. And God, does, God doesn't have one negative thought in his head about us. 
And I don't want to have anything in my head about me that God doesn't have about me. And I am on a journey with that. And, um, you know, these days, if somebody says something negative about me, I can, if, even if I don't say it to them, I can say it to me, that's not true. That's not how God sees me. Because I want to speak life. You know, life and death are in the power of the tongue, it says in Proverbs. And I just want to speak life over me. And I want to speak life to others so that their soul prospers. I want to speak life to situations. You know, we've just had this referendum. And the stuff out there is not speaking life to our nation. You know, whichever way you voted, God has got a plan to prosper us and give this nation a great future. And, and our confidence is not in whoever is in control in Parliament. And yet it says we, ha we should pray for kings and those in authority over us. So we should be praying for our leaders, for Holy Spirit to guide them. And, you know, I'm praying that God will raise up godly, courageous people to take their place in, in Parliament, in society, to be advisors to those. Um, but I'm speaking life into my nation, and I'm praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, in this nation as it is in heaven, instead of agreeing with all the stuff out there. I'm not going to speak death, I'm going to speak life and hope. And you know, we can get hurt in our souls emotionally, and like Ian said, we bury the hurt and instead of allowing it to be healed, we just bury it. But the trouble is we bury it alive and then it festers, you know, like a hidden infection that um, I can have, I can be in pain and I can take painkillers. But if the pain doesn't go, then there is something wrong that I can't see. And if I ignore it, at some point, something bad is going to happen, you know. My body is going to give up, collapse, it's going to do whatever happens, and I will have to go to the doctors. And often that is like when we bury stuff emotionally. We bury it, but again, people say things, something happens, and like Ian said, it's like touching a hidden bruise, and eventually, boom, you know, we react. And it can be, the pain can be triggered by a comment or an event, but it's got nothing to do with what is hidden in here, feelings of rejection. And I'm going to give you an example from my own childhood or from my dad. My dad um, was rejected by his mum. His mum was married to the love of her life and she had a child, my uncle, who um, had special needs. And then her husband died and so then she married again. But she married this guy because she needed another husband. This, this was how it was. And she had my dad and my dad was very bright but she resented that and she rejected him because he wasn't the son of the guy that, you know, the husband that died. And he was everything that the son she loved wasn't. My auntie told my sister this after my dad died. And so my dad and my, um, my grandma that I never met was um, physically and verbally abusive to my dad. And she would take her anger and her pain out on my dad. 
And my granddad, who I never met, my dad's dad, he um, eventually left the home. They split up. And my dad was quite close to him. And after he left, my grandma just got worse with my dad. So my granddad came back, put my dad at age 16 in the RAF cadets, came back for his passing out parade and then left and never saw him again. And my dad had such terrible anger issues. So he wasn't physically abusive, but he would just lose his temper and you never knew what mood he would be in. So you would be, had to be really careful. And he wasn't like that all the time. I knew he loved me. I knew he would take a bullet for me if he had to. Um, and he did his best as a father to provide for us, to have fun with us. But there was this other darker side to him. And I hadn't realized until I heard from this auntie, um, who was his sister, and she was treated well because she was a girl, um, that he, this is how she treated him. And I realized that her anger and pain had been taken out on him. And he didn't understand that inside, inside my dad was a little boy still. And you know, when you're emotionally hurting as a little boy, like Ian was, for Ian, there was a seven-year-old boy in there still suffering from an abandonment that God needed to heal. And it was the same for my dad. There was this rejected boy in him that needed to be healed. And so, and he took to drinking. Praise God he got saved and he got out of that alcoholism. But we didn't understand, like Ian said, you're a new creation. And we thought that was it. So, Dad, why are you behaving like this with your anger? And so he would react. And we would just think, oh, it's something we said. But it wasn't. It was this buried pain that he didn't know how to deal with. And... and um, in his last days, he would be saying to my sister, because she nursed him when he was ill, why do you think my dad never came back to see me after I'd done my passing out parade? At... And there's this boy of 18 or 16 who was abandoned, and he's carrying abandonment. And after his funeral, I felt such pain when I found about, out about this for this child, for my dad, that my dad had gone through this pain and that he'd lived his whole life with this, burying this pain that would erupt, and you would never know what would set him off. But it was like this infection, like this boil that would burst. And I realized that if I didn't want to carry his pain, because I could feel this pain, I had to forgive the grandparents I'd never known for causing my dad not to be the best dad in the world. You know, and he did his best. Um, and we had some great times with him. He, did his, he just wanted to provide so well for his seven kids. And so I had to forgive those in order for me not to be carrying pain. Because I didn't want to carry stuff that God wasn't intending me to carry. And so, you know, forgiveness is a big key. But, you know, can you see that the buried pain of my dad... Um, can cause and it can have an effect into the generations. My grandma was carrying hurt and pain and she took it out on my dad and my dad then didn't realise he was taking it out on us. And so this is, you know, having a prosperous soul is about also having a good legacy to leave to the next generations. 
so that anything you've got of hurt and pain, you allow the Father to heal up so that there's a generation that doesn't have to carry that. I want to leave a good legacy for my children and my grandchildren and the generations to come. And so, like I said, we don't even realise that we're, in, we're um, reacting to the fact that we have a damaged soul and we just think somebody else is at fault. And then you can put barriers up to avoid being rejected, which is, from what we've heard of people who've adopted children, orphans do that. I can look after myself, thank you very much. I can do everything for myself and I'm not letting the barriers down because I've already been alone and rejected. If I do that, I'm fine. And we begin to mistrust people in case they reject us or let us down. And I have been through that in church situations where church leaders have let me down. And it's like, don't want to trust another church leader. And I've had to forgive them so that I can move on and realize that people are human beings and we all make mistakes. And so... For my, my own journey, I've learned to come to the Father and ask him to help me. Why am I feeling like this? Or why have I reacted like that? In our marriage, Ian and I have had to do this. You know, we've, we've come to a situation we can't resolve and there's hurt and pain in the room. And to say, Holy Spirit, come and shine your light and show us where this has come from. And sometimes when we haven't reacted well to each other, we can say, where is that coming from? And go back to God. And you know, you ask him to help you by his Holy Spirit. And it's so wonderful, you know, what Mark said about Holy Spirit. Because he, he helps us with our identity. Um, that is why Jesus said to the disciples, I won't leave you as orphans but I will send the Holy Spirit who Holy Spirit will show you Jesus. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, as Mark said. And he was saying, I am the way to the Father. He came to make his Father known. And so we just open up and Holy Spirit will shine his light so gently. And he's not doing it to say, you need to get yourself sorted out. You need to deal with these reactions. He's going can I help you here? Because he will not force himself on us. He is so gentle. He is the safest place. And, you know, I always say this. I laugh because we say, let the barriers down before God. And I think he knows what we're like anyway, so I don't know why we put barriers up. <laughs> but he shows us what he is like. And he is loving and he is kind. And what's more, he'll show you what you were like, how he sees you. You were made in his image, how much he loves you. You know, again in Psalm, I think it's Psalm 139, where the psalmist says, how precious are your thoughts about me, O God. Every one of his thoughts about you are precious. And it says, how vast are the sum of them. His thoughts about us are so many we can't count them, and every one of them are precious. He is never disappointed with you. We may mess up, but it's like, can I help you clean your mess up? It's never, I'm really disappointed, or I never saw that coming. You've really let me down. 
he'll never say that. We just let the barriers down so that we're allowing him to come in and love us to wholeness. He wants to love you into freedom. He doesn't want to force you into it. He doesn't want to punish you. Like Mark said, um, we live from his acceptance, not for it. We don't have to do anything for him to accept us. Um, you know, we were the joy set before him. Because it says Jesus endured the cross and he endured all the stuff before it for the joy set before him. And that was us. And I, I never knew till Mark shared this morning that when he was on the cross, the Aramaic can be translated, my bride. And I think, yeah, we were the joy set before him. And you can look at yourself in the morning and go, you were the joy set before Jesus. He had you in mind when he went to the cross. My name was on his mind when he went to the cross, his bride. And I just thought, wow, when Mark said that, yeah, I was the joy set before him. And so we can turn to Holy Spirit, who is Jesus Unlimited, because Jesus said he would send his Holy Spirit. And we have, Scripture says, the Holy Spirit without measure. So we have Jesus unlimited living in us. And there is always access to more. And he is the one who encourages us and guides us into all truth. And so it's focusing on staying closer in relationship. One of our team says it's not about working harder. It's about living closer to him. There's nothing about we do, it's living closer. It's learning to lean on him and listen to his heartbeat for us. And when you learn to listen to his heartbeat for us, you learn to listen to his heartbeat for, all, for anyone you come into contact with. And as Ian was sharing, you know, I, we'd been taught dead men don't hurt. And so I'm repenting for being hurt. You know, forgive me, God, I'm not dead enough. <laughs> but that's, and that was just a lie that we'd been taught. But thank God for his Holy Spirit, who when you listen to will show us the truth. And it's okay to acknowledge your pain. It's okay to say, I'm hurting. It's okay to say, I feel rejected, Lord. I feel stupid, Lord. Lord, I feel so embarrassed because just telling him this is your safe place and then listen for what he says. And, you know, we can deny how we're feeling, thinking that the way I'm feeling is a lack of faith, but it's okay to be real before God. He knows how you feel anyway. He just wants you to tell him because he wants relationship and intimacy. When, um, oh, let me see. When did we have the leak in our kitchen? Yeah, somewhere around about two years ago. So we were going to, we had our house up for sale. And I kept finding damp in the corner of a kitchen cupboard and it, it was moldy. So I kept getting the bleach out and I would wipe it. It would look all new again, put everything back in the cupboard. And then like a few weeks later, the mold would be back bleach it again and uh, I kept thinking oh I haven't dried the pans up well so it's the damp you know and that kind of thing so 
obviously we had to have a survey for our house. And one thing led to another, and the surveyor wanted to look under our kitchen floor because it was an extension. And so he just drilled down a little bit, and there was all this water. So thank you, Jesus, that we had the right insurance to cover for it to all be dug up and find out where the leak came. And when it was all dug up, this water came rushing up and it was like a swimming pool underneath and maybe for two years a pipe had been leaking and that's why we kept getting mold because it was underneath and I just felt God saying that is what happens if you don't let me deal with the root of stuff that you can keep dabbing over it and oh I'll change I'll pray more I'll stop doing this I'll stop doing that um but finding out what the root was so that it could be dealt with. And sometimes God will want to dig down into the foundations of your thinking, of your beliefs about yourself. And let's, let's sort out the found. Let's see what's underneath. So that, and, and it was brilliant because, you know, it was all drained away. They fixed the pipes. They had industrial dryers come in. And what was great was... Uh, we got a brand new kitchen floor and it was really tatty anyway. So, And the people that were buying our house were thrilled with it, got it for free. Um, but it's allowing him to come in. And sometimes it'll take somebody else, a good friend, to come to you and say, you know, you keep reacting like this or you, you keep saying this about yourself. Can we ask the Holy Spirit to show you where this is coming from? Because the Holy Spirit, you were too awesome to live in pain. You were too awesome to live in reacting out of, um, you know, when you overreact to something. You're too awesome. You were made in the image of an awesome God. And we're too awesome to stay where we are. Even in a good place, God wants us, there's always more of him. And you may think, I am so close to the Father, but there's always more. There's always more intimacy. And we're too awesome and too loved by God to stay where we are. And I've found that most of my healing has come because of choices I've made when I've recognized that I'm hurting. And how we respond to disappointments, to hurt, even to trauma can open the door to either the demonic realm or to the heavenly realm. Um, I've been married to Ian for 30 years. We're just celebrating all year, because I say a naught should be celebrated all year. So we've been married 30 years in February. But before that, I was married to somebody else. And when I got saved, I changed so dramatically that in the end, he just didn't want to stay. Total opposite to you two. <laughs> anyway. But I came from a Catholic family and divorce just didn't happen. And so I was absolutely traumatized. But I had a choice because I could either let that make me bitter, which bitterness will eat us up, or I could turn to God. And I remember saying to God, because I wanted my ex-husband to come back. I was just in total shock and I was traumatized. I said, if he comes back, Lord, I'll worship you. If he doesn't come back, I'll worship you. 
because you are God and you're my only hope in this situation. And Psalm 118, verse 5 to 9 says, In my anguish I cried to the Lord, and he answered me by setting me free. And that's what I did. I, I went round to various people, and they would offer me comfort and pray with me, but they couldn't take away the pain. And it was rejection, you see. I was suffering from rejection and abandonment. And, uh, you know, and I'm forgiving him, but the pain is still there. And, you know, forgiveness doesn't always mean instant healing, but forgiveness opens the door to your healing. And so I cried out to God, and I'm on my knees just crying out to him. Not self-pity. I've tried that, and it didn't work. You just end up with a face that looks a mess the next morning. And so I just said, Lord, this is how I'm feeling. And he just came and met me. And I just ended up worship. What could have been a pity party for me ended up as a worship party. And then further on in this psalm, it says, I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my salvation. And I had two young girls at the time. In fact, Julie used to babysit my girls when I was a single parent while I went to our life group, home group. So I go back a long way. She was, a, she was just great. Our girls loved having her to babysit. And um, my girls, I went to a, te- a parent-teacher meeting and the girls were not doing well because of their own trauma. And I was so mad with the devil. <laughs> How dare you affect my girls and I just started praying and started declaring stuff over my girls and I really again cried out to God and when I went back the following term the teacher said there's been a real turnaround and your kids are doing so well and you know at the end of the psalm it says at the end of the psalm but near shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous But it started off with, in my anguish, I cried to the Lord. Instead of being angry and bitter and turning my back on God, as some people do, and I could have done that. Well, where's God in this situation? And you know, like Mark said, your setback, God can turn it to, and I can't remember, a setup. That's right. You're setting me up to meet Ian, actually. (laughs) He was setting me up to be victorious, that whether I'm, I'm with my husband or not, I am victorious. And so shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous, but it started with me turning to the Lord. And that was the choice I had, even in my trauma. I will worship you, God. If it works out well, I will worship you if it doesn't work as I hoped. And verse 17 says, I will not die, but live And we'll proclaim what the Lord has done. And I can proclaim what God has done instead of being eaten up and dying on the inside through bitterness and resentment. And Jeremiah 6 says, stand at the crossroads and look. And I had a choice. I was at a crossroads which way I went. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your soul. And I will just encourage you to write that down. Jeremiah 6 verse 16. Because you do have a choice. 
We stand at the crossroad, and am I going to choose life, or am I going to choose death? And, um, you know, some of these are just testimonies I want to share. My sister got saved four or five years ago now, and she decided to go. Do you, most of you are familiar with Sozo? Yeah, so she went, which is an inner healing thing. So she went along to have a sozo because she felt, I just am not connecting with God as I want to. I want to be closer to him. And she just felt the stuff that's holding me back, but I'm not sure what to do. So she went along for this sozo, and it's all Holy Spirit-led. So um, I don't know actually what in there, but she said it was the most profound encounter with God she'd had in her four years of being saved, and she felt so connected. But it wasn't until she left, and I don't know if it's when she was driving or when she got home, she suddenly realized, and these people doing the sozo didn't know about this, that the dyslexia she'd had all her life was healed and gone. And can you see her soul was getting healed, and so... The physical thing, her dyslexia went. And she just said that because of the encounter with God and also because the dyslexia went, that the way way she worshipped was different. Everything was different because her soul was prospering. But it's like God saying, this is what happens when your soul is well. I heal you physically. You know, and in all this stuff that goes on, Father will gently work his love into you. Because if we yield to him, he just wants you to yield so that he can do what he does best. He loves us. He knows us. He sees the gold in us. You know, other people may see the dirt, but he sees the gold underneath. He sees the diamond in the rough. And he wants to bring that out. And even while he's doing it, he trusts us still and he uses us. Look at the disciples fighting amongst themselves. Who's the greatest amongst us? And yet he still used them and trusted them because he could see what they were going to become as they yielded to him. And he sees what he called you to be when you were being formed in your mother's womb. And he still has that destiny just says, will you yield to me so that I can use you, I can form you, I can love you into being all that I called you to be. But we're called to be lovers first, lovers of him, called to be sons and daughters who know that we're loved by the best dad in the world. Can't compare him with any other dad. He's the best dad in the world. And, you know, Ian talked about forgiveness. And I was in a conference 10 years ago, actually, in Toronto. And so it was 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I just said, do you know what, Lord, I'm not as, I'm not as free in worship as I once was. I suddenly realized, why is that? And he just said, because we'd had a church split some years before, There were people who left, but they'd sat in judgment over you because they didn't think Ian and I and some others should be leading the church. And you shut yourself down. So I just went, okay, Lord, I forgive them. That was it. So around about um, 
six o'clock, we all had tea together. There was a few of us. And then when we left the meeting, around about 10 o'clock, I told Ian what God had said, and he went, I knew you were different. <laughs> he said, I thought when we all had tea together, she's lighter. He said, I didn't think there was anything wrong before, but all of a sudden, you're lighter. And it was just that, okay, Lord, I forgive them. There was no, and I think I said, and I bless them because I want to release people into blessing. I release them into your hands, Lord. You bless them. There was no kind of trumpets. I didn't feel different or anything, but Ian could see it. Yeah. And you know, people can see. We, we give off. Our, our internal environment will affect our external environment. You know what it's like if you've been in an office and your boss comes in in a bad mood, you know it. You can just feel it in the atmosphere. I've been in those situations where, oh my word. And it's what's going on in the inside will affect what's going on the outside. And when you're walking in healing and your soul is prospering, you will change the environment where you are. You can't help it. Ian and I had been um, just soaking before God one morning. So we're feeling really loved up and God is doing, you know, wonderful stuff. And we go off to the supermarket and um, we're stood there. It was actually in Tesco. And we're stood there and we're wondering, I'm trying to think, what did I come for? Because I'm still like so enjoying the love of God and his presence on me. And people kept walking past us and stopping. I'm going like this. I, I wondered what it was at first. And then I began to realize, hey, I'm leaking his love. <laughs> I want people to walk past me in the supermarket. And I'm so full of his love that they get healed when they walk past me. That's my aim. And so... Um, living in forgiveness is a key and it doesn't forgiveness you know people my grandparents were dead so they didn't know that I'd forgiven them but it's what it does to you forgiveness affects you and um, you know in the uh, scripture that talks about give and it will be given back to you, full measure, pressed down. If you read before that, it's about judgment and forgiveness. And we tend to use it for the offering. I mean, that's okay. But the scripture is talking about not judging others and forgiving others. And give and it will be given back to you. And Luke, in Luke, Jesus says, be merciful as I am merciful. And sometimes we want grace for us and judgment for others. And we go, it's not fair. But I want to give. I want to give forgiveness. Because we pray. Jesus taught us to pray. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And we're not saying that what they did was right and it makes it okay. But it's, it's what it does in us. And it opens the door to our healing. Um, I think it was Nelson Mandela when he left prison said that if he didn't forgive those who treated him badly, he would still be in prison. Because unforgiveness locks you up. It makes you bitter. And, I, and I've, I've known people where bitterness has locked them up so much that they can't hardly communicate with people because they're shriveled up on the inside. And that is not how Father destined us to be. 
And so, as um, again, as Mark said today, hurt people hurt people, but whole people heal people. And that's what I want to do on this journey of wholeness. I want to be able to heal people. And now I'm experiencing the love of the Father more and more. I'm beginning to realize what authority I have, that I can speak life over myself, and I can speak life into other people's souls and their emotions, and I can speak to them how God sees them. And you know, I'm going to be sharing on some of this tomorrow, but just smiling at somebody in the street, you know, you, you... because your soul is prospering, because you're allowing yourselves to be loved up and healed up, you're smiling with the smile of Jesus at people. And they may never have had a smile all week, but he loves them. And we were called to be a blessing. But we have to be blessed ourselves. We have to be prospering ourselves to help others to um, prosper. And as we get healed up, we learn to love as he loves. And you know, today and every day, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit are holding their hands out to you, to me, to heal our souls, to make it prosper, so that everything else in our lives prosper. Because it says, I pray that it may go well with you and be in bodily health. So it's every aspect of our lives. As our soul prospers, we begin to see things from heaven. You know, we are seated in heavenly places. And I say, Lord, open my eyes to those heavenly places I'm in. Help me to see things from your perspective. And in order to do that, I have to allow him into my soul. So the eyes of my heart are seeing healthily. And all you have to do is yield yourself to him. Lord, I yield myself to you. To prosper my soul, I'm holding nothing back. I'm letting down the barriers. And yield yourself to to his amazing, unconditional, huge love. Because his love is not conditional on how you are. He loves you because he loves you. Because he loves you. Give him permission to rearrange your soul. Come and move the furniture. Come and do what you need to do, Lord, in my soul. And he won't do it harshly. He'll do it in the way that he knows you. The way he knows you, he will do it. And it will not be like anybody else. And he'll do it a thorough, thorough job. And you know, in Psalm 139, Psalm 139 is a love letter to me because it starts off with, Lord, you know me. And I used to read it from my unhealed heart and think, oh, he knows me. And it says, you know every thought before it passes, becomes, you know, every word before I say it and every thought, and I think, oh, no. <laughs> and when I, when I started going on this journey of the Father's heart, which is probably 10 years or more now, I read it, and I realized he loved me. So I started reading it out loud to myself, and I was a mess. It was like a love letter Lord, you know me, and you love me. You know every word before it leaves my mouth, and you love me. You saw me when I was formed in my mother's womb, and you loved me. And I'd encourage you sometime to read it, and just add at the end of each verse, 
and you loved me. And it says, if I go down to the depths, you are there. If I rise to the heights, you are there, because you love me. And when I awake, you are there, because you love me. And at the end, the psalmist says, search me and know me. See if there's any anxious thoughts. And see if there's any wicked way in me. And that wicked way in me, when it, in Strong's Concordance, is translated, see if there's any hurt and pain or idle in me. You see, I didn't want to say, see if there's any wicked way in me. But to invite him in to say, search me and know me, Lord. Search my heart and see if there's any hurt and pain. Because I don't want to go digging for stuff that he's not leading me in. So, you know, every now and again, you just go, search me, Lord. Is there any hurt and pain? And then it says, and lead me in the way everlasting. Because he wants to heal us and lead us in the way everlasting. And that is a way of love. It's a way of peace. It's a way of joy. It's a way of victory. In every area of your life is the way everlasting. And so I would encourage you every now and again, even when you go home, to just take some time out. Say, search me and know me, Lord. See if there's any hurt and pain. And he may not show you anything, but he may. You may say, what about this? It's like a weed. In the, in the, if you imagine your heart is a garden or your soul, you may say there's a weed there and I want to pull it up because it's preventing the roses from blooming because that's what he wants is for your heart to blossom, for your soul to blossom. Mm. 